0: Is your
1: host Chris Cooper? Hello, this is Chris Cooper, and a huge welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. And it's great to be back with you again for yet another week. I've got another wonderful guest today, uh, Charlotte Valuer. We're going to talk about succeed with neurodiversity, um, and/or it could be neurodivergence. We're going to talk about the difference between the two uh, too shortly. Um, but before I do that, I want to say um, I want to say thank you to John Jennings for introducing me to Charlotte. Uh, and also, I do apologise for last week's show for anybody who for people who listened in it was going to be with Paul Davis, and but I found myself with a a, a medical emergency. I had an, an an abscess, and it all went very nastily wrong. And I had to um, I had to cancel the show at last minute. Now that's the first time in 507 shows I've done that. So I do apologise for that. Um, but we will have Paul Davis back on the show again very soon. And I want to talk today about a subject that has become, for me, very important uh, and really personally. And uh, that is with having a son and a, and a wife who are both um, uh, dyslexic and have ADHD. And um, we recently had um, Paul Graham, the um, British Managing Director on the show, he talked about his neurodivergence and how they're really embracing it. And not only that, it just seems to me be that I've, I see now in my own work, I'm become much more aware of it, more observant, and I'm spending a lot more time with people. And it feels like um, the awareness of this has just grown exponentially of late and probably, possibly impacted as well by the pandemic. This is a really important subject. And how do we succeed in this area? How do we help people um, to um, access their superpowers? And uh, Charlotte is somebody who has certainly accessed hers, uh, as you'll we'll, we'll, we'll find out very shortly. Um, but there is a, a common belief that still exists that you should fit into a norm and, uh, and, and neurodivergence is an affliction. And Charlotte told me that 40% of the prison population in the United Kingdom have, have been identified as uh, neurodivergent. This is quite shocking. You know, how are we helping people when potentially they have great talents? Are we missing tremendous opportunities? And how do we help people um, to to succeed? Um, Now last, um, to give you some background on Charlotte, Um, Charlotte is a former investment banker and FTSE chair and non-executive director. She's had board level experience across lots of sectors and industries, and she held a very um, highly prestigious role in the UK. She was chair of the Institute of Directors, uh, a recognized international authority and professor in corporate governance and, um, and leadership. And she and an author of Effective Directors, Questions to Ask. Uh, she's a lifelong human rights um, advocate and is driven to play her part in creating an inclusive society. She advocates for equality and inclusion for all, working at the intersection of government, industry and academia uh, and the third sector. And she's also founded an organization um, called the um, Globe, the Institute, uh, Global Institute of Neurodiversity, ION, uh, with incredibly 12,000 members. Uh, Charlotte um, has discovered that she's autistic and she succeeded in a male-dominated business. Just check out her Wikipedia entry and uh, it will blow your mind. Um, so let's talk about um, embracing neurodivergence and neurodiversity, succeeding with it and helping people to access their unique talents and and for us to take advantage of them because in a a, a world that needs um, needs, some people to step up and move to another level, Um, having divergence um, amongst our our communities and our boards and our businesses is only going to lead to better thinking. So a big welcome today to Charlotte Vallure.
2: Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, It's always a bit embarrassing listening to people talk talk about you, but uh, thank you very much. It's a very kind introduction. Uh, Thank you for having me here. I look forward. To our conversation
1: you're very welcome i've been really excited about talking to you uh, after our, after our conversation a week ago which i really really enjoyed and, and tell us a little bit about you and what was life was like uh, growing up for you i'm getting a sense from listening to you that maybe maybe english wasn't your first uh, language so tell us a bit about your background uh, right
2: so uh, i'm danish of of origin um, and grew up in Denmark till my mid-twenties when I was uh, transferred by the bank I worked for to the UK and I've been in the UK since 91 but I never have lost my accent um, and apparently now I speak Danish with an accent as well so that's interesting so I I seem to be a foreigner everywhere <laughs> foreigner. <laughs> when people ask me where I come from in Denmark now because I apparently have this accent I just say I come from the 80s because my language hasn't <laughs> developed since then in Denmark so so um, i I was a late diagnosed autistic. Um, I found out myself when I was 15 9 years ago. And uh, it took me 2 years of thinking about that before I did a a full professional uh, diagnostics. And uh, I remember my middle child I have three children my middle son said to me why why would you want to do that mommy you're so successful you don't why would you want to you know, have a diagnostic. I said, look, I just need to know myself. I need to, I I feel that I understand what just doing a self-test, well, actually about 10 of them many times, because (laughs) I was sure that it was wrong, right? (laughs) Came out with, you score above the clinical threshold, you should get diagnosed. That was something to think about uh, because these, you know, automated messages are not very, you know, emotionally nurturing. So you have to, I had to work with that and try to, see if maybe it was just wrong, it wasn't, it kept coming out the same way. Uh, so I had thought a lot about it for those two years and said to my son, look also, if when I get old, if I get dementia, for example, I'm, I'm pretty sure that my autistic um, sensitivities will come out much, much more, um, in a much, much bigger way, if you want, that maybe carers that are, might be neurotypical find it hard to deal with. Um, and I think for a lot of us, basically, we have a broader sensory band than what we call neurotypicals would have. And that broader sensory band, I would say, is more developed senses. So we smell more, we hear more, we see more, we feel more, we taste more. And and that has somehow been turned around to become um, a disability, which it is in a world that is super overwhelming, but in more calmer, less sensory overwhelming uh, areas, we, it's not we just, you wouldn't notice. Uh, but if I get to, into a high overwhelm situation, I, I might react differently to what is expected of of me. Um, when I look back on my life, it was very clear, actually. Um, but back in the 60s and 70s, nobody really knew anything about this. In Denmark, I was put in a separate class with a teacher, with a classmate who was uh, dyslexic. And again, not, not found out, we found, saw that a lot later. Um, and then everybody deems us to be dumb. So I was, we were the, the dumb, the two dumb children in the class, um, which is kind of hard. But then people stop expecting anything of you, teachers, stop explaining. So in my free time, I was reading Winston Churchill's biography when I was 12 and <laughs> things that I found interesting, but nobody knew that I yeah. did. In yeah. school, I was just disconnected. So it, it's, um, It's been an interesting journey to look back at all of that and now understand why I always felt on the outside. I was never part of the social circles. I was on my own in school, just, you know, being in a corner of a playground or somehow falling out with people, hiding in the toilets to not get beaten up, got bullied incessantly. It was was, uh, not a great experience for me to Mm -hmm. be in school. Um, And it's an experience that, unfortunately, neurodivergent and especially autistic people find children get all over the world. But you can imagine people with Tourette, for example, similar thing. You know, dyslexia, dyspraxia. If you can't do, you know, if you are not coordinated, you can't. All the sports people in these schools are always the leaders, right? And I was certainly not that yeah. <laughs> at all. So that was not so easy. But as I, I grew up, I was just lucky to fall into banking, which worked for me straight out of A level. I slaved through school, did then very, you know, average results um and then when i started work i just loved it and then i came into my fall into everything that i can deliver was then delivered and i had a fairly straight upward sloping line of success uh, for the next uh, many years and it that has continued for I've for 41 years now so it seems i'm still challenging myself to to reach other levels just because i need that intellectual challenge all the time yeah uh, um last year i was in addition being diagnosed with adhd so it's all a bit apparently adhd and autism comes together in 60 plus percent of the time it almost seems to be something on the same continuum somehow it's very overlapping
1: Uh, okay okay
2: i Um... didn't know that at all but (laughs) you find out as you go i mean i'm a banker what do i know about this i don't right you just find out as you go along
1: yeah i think you mentioned i think you mentioned to me that there were um in the banking sector that uh, some of the organization, I can't remember if you said Goldman Sachs, where one would actively looked for people with.
2: Uh, there you know. is one, but it's beginning to be recognized. I mean, I have to say I was in dealing rooms. So I was a stock exchange trader back in Denmark in the 80s and then in dealing rooms in London in, through the 90s. I was super comfortable in those places. I mean, we were only a couple of women and 300 men, but, but I didn't even notice that, I just had fun. It was easy rules, easy play. I mean, it was like, you perform, you do well, and then you're fine and you get respect. And we are all like 80 different nationalities so nobody judged each other for you know anything. And I think it was just such a relief for me to be in that situation as opposed to in Denmark where they would put you in a box, just like in United Kingdom, Brits will put other Brits in a box, but they won't put me in a box because I'm a foreigner, right? So I can get away with things. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a great advantage, yeah? So if I'm a bit too blunt or a bit too honest, or you know, what comes with autism often, I can also say, Oh, that's what we do in Denmark. People go, Okay, nobody really questions that.
1: So there's some so there's something there's a disconnect here, isn't there? You you uh in in school, you you, you know you felt um, an outsider, and uh, and and people and I hear this is a co- common um, common um, perspective that people have. And my wife had it at the age of eight. Um, she's now a very successful GP, but that was sort of inferred she might not amount to much because she couldn't read at the t- at the time. And um, that that in school the environment. Uh, basically um, doesn't work but interesting then when you got into the real world into business for example you found yourself you know in, having inordinate levels of success so what yeah. there's a disconnect there, isn't there? What, why there is
2: is... it? I think it is that when we are children society doesn't understand our intellect right yeah. so I'm super autodidact. Um I have neurodividing children, they're pretty autodidact as well. We literally teach ourselves at most things we don't learn that easily from other people but we learn by studying ourselves as long as it's something we have an interest in yes and I think this is where the disconnect is that the educational system doesn't understand how to teach us through our special interests. right maybe yes. if i i mean i could have learned an enormous amount of more about the second world war if it maybe had focused around you know Churchill's self-biography. I mean, well, yes. bio, you know what I mean? I mean, it was all there, right, to, to have, but that's not something that normally interests people at that age. So if we work with, so I saw so a school in, uh, in LA called British Academy, and they teach the children, they, they, they call for twice exceptional children. So generally it's children with a neurodiversity or neurodivergence and uh, high intellect. And it doesn't even have to all just, you know, standard to high intellect, because when you are focused solely on one or two things, guess what? You know, with a normal intellect, you will still know a lot about that area. So they get children to study all the other things, like learn to read and write this through their special interest. Um, And that works incredibly well. They get incredible, you know, uh, success with these children. These children are feeling happy because actually what their interest is, is what teachers will talk to them about. So, you know, there was a, a very dyslexic child who just would not read or write, but loved the chicken they had in the that little corner with chicken. And he was very worried about what happened when he went away on holiday with the chicken. And they said, Yeah, that's a problem. Should be, you know, write a did plan about that? He was all over it, right? Right. Studying, writing, putting plan, and then he moved that on to making a bigger business plan. You know, it just works.
1: Yeah. So so what what was what we're seeing is, I guess, is a, a a a fixed pattern in the school. You must do this and this and this. It's highly structured to do to do this, this, and this. Um, but actually, it doesn't suit the, the 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 brains and the learning and development of people who, you know, we have been categorised as neurodiverse, and we'll come on to that in a moment. we are
2: not meant to. I mean, so we see it as a natural variation of human times, of, of yeah. human nature. So we were here. We're here for a reason. Right, reason being that we are meant to think deeply about a few things, and we're meant to question status quo, and and that's why teachers can find us so difficult. Yeah. We will question teachers. We literally will, because that's what nature has has meant for us to do. That's how we look at it as as neurodivergent community. So so when you are driven to do that, it's literally your entire body is telling you to question status quo. So that's what you do, right?
1: So you've just um
2: and that should be embraced i mean teachers should be grateful that their children in their challenging status quo because through that they can teach all the other children about you know having a questioning mind not mm. just blindly follow authority we don't want people to do that right
1: yeah yes it's a very inter- very interesting my um i i got a little report from my son's at school he's doing his a levels at the moment and they said um we, we had the teachers and they, and they, the teachers are really struggling, kind of struggling with him. But uh, they said he was very interested, uh, for some reason, in uh, Karl Marx, and very interested in the failings of the education system.
2: Yeah, I don't know why, but well, that's uh, what he's been put here to do. Yeah, to question why things are not doing well enough, how they could be different. Someone had to first say we think that the earth is round instead of flat. Right?
0: Yeah. Someone
2: had to be brave enough. I think they went to jail then. For doing that, right? Maybe they got burnt on the fire, even. But do you know what I mean? We are here to do that. All-rounders are great, but they're not changing the world. Fine. Right? They're good at doing many things, and that's what we need. But at a higher level. But when you want to go in and create languages, create music, create mathematics, it's not an all-rounder you're looking for.
1: Mm, absolutely. So we've just got a couple of minutes now until commercial break. But I just want to ask you the question. Um why why is it called neurodiverse sorry uh, yeah yeah, yeah and neurodiversity uh, and neurodivergence and uh, neurodivergence of uh, being called that feels to me quite alienating actually
2: i know it's not i'm i'm not a great fan of that so it's it's those are words uh, coined by different people um so neurodiversity is coined by Judy Singer to to explain you know, autistic people, she's autistic, a lot of families autistic back in the late 1990s, explain the the diverse minds of human beings as a natural variation. Uh, so that is all of us are neurodiverse. We have different minds and different neurotypes, if you want. And then someone coined, well, so the divergence in that is if you diverge from the norm. And that's what I don't quite like. I just yeah. see the neurotypes as neurotypicals, you know, autistic, ADHD, whatever moving towards a north star of all of those titles are not necessary we understand that we're all different and fall back into the neurodiversity paradigm that is we are all naturally different and we should all embrace that
1: yeah yeah it's a good it's, it's wonderful isn't it that the world is different
2: it is it's, it's fantastic I, mean, I get very worried if i'm in a group where people agree with me on everything mm. so, and it's also quite dull right
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well yeah when you get a you get you say what well, you get you, some of the board positions you have and have experienced uh to be in a situation where uh everybody follows one leader
2: because, it's a danger yeah it's, it's a, a danger isn't it and in a boardroom even when I, mean. I change the board i do not want people to agree with me i need people to have their own mindset right
1: yeah yeah and be prepared to be challenged by others in the room
2: totally yeah and and see that as a good thing yeah. and see it as a bad thing if we have groupthink, right? Yeah. That's why diversity means so much to me. It, you have a greater chance of making the right decisions.
1: Yes, because that's, that's um, you know interesting with you as well, with you having you have another kind of organization that uh, focuses on that around the diversity around the boardroom, and then yeah. you've also now created another one, which is about um, uh, neurodiversity and helping people with it to succeed, really. Um, i need to stop doing
2: these organizations
1: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah there's a real real theme for you in your your life there is. It's, uh, is i
2: just want everyone to have equal access to things to have equal opportunity to prosper in life because i cannot tolerate that if you have a different color of skin somehow some people think that you're less of a human being what what's that that's just like not logical and low level right
1: yeah yes i'm, I'm so uh so loving this conversation um it's great and we 're going to go to commercial break now and and we 'll back in a couple of minutes and we'll we'll talk um a little bit about your institute that you've you've created and you know how how do we really how do schools help students to succeed how do does the workplace help um recognize support and nurture people who potentially could be brilliant um in certain areas so you yeah. identify their certain areas that they're interested in um a great opportunity here we'll be back again in just a couple of minutes do join us after the break
0: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network Say It Skillfully is my radio show about being who you are and saying what you think needs to be said. This is your host, Molly Chang. I'll help you find the right words to tackle any challenging conversation you've been avoiding. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. You'll learn how to achieve success on your terms and be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in your life. Check out sayaskillfully.com for practical resources, including my 90-second videos, real-life examples showing you how to speak up skillfully. I invite you to call in with your questions. Join me live every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. And no, I'm cheering for you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper.
1: Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with Charlotte Valuer, and we're talking about uh, neurodiversity, neurodivergence, and uh, how we how we succeed with it. I just, actually, before we get on to the Institute of Neurodiversity, I'm just intrigued with all of your board experience. Are, do you, are, are boards changing? Are, really, are, you know, boardrooms which tended to be dominated by middle-aged white males, typically, um, you know, you were an, ex- an exception, clearly. Um, are, are, they, are they changing? Are they embracing uh, people with different diversity or are they just playing lip service to it?
2: I think uh, I think we are in a in a changed period where some will pay lip service and some will do box taking exercises to to reach what they are expected to, so they don't get voted off the board. But the conversation certainly, I mean, in my boardrooms, I just have a small handful of boards I work uh, I serve on, but then I work with a larger group of boards. The conversations have changed, and the people are aware diversity is needed. Um, I'm not so sure that everybody's fully in their heart understanding you know, beyond um, nice to do, how it creates business value, mm-hmm. even though there's a lot of research out there, uh, McKinsey did one, where the uplift for having gender diversity was about what's about 20%. But the uplift of having ethnic diversity, in addition to that is about 35%. So significant uplift from, in my view, having different kind of conversations and challenge differently. And I think that's what gives the richness um, in the conversations. When you are, you can imagine different generations. If you have five people that are born in, ten, in five different decades, right? Born in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, and let's say 50s. You will have very different conversations simply from that diversity. If, you know, on top of that, you have a female perspective, a male perspective. Men and women are different, right? We're meant yeah. to be different. And it's good that we're different. We shouldn't try to i guess women be more like men to be in the in in business because then we eradicate those differences that we beautifully bring to the table yes so it's it's literally those differences that gives it there are many more neurodivergent directors than in one thing, right? so i I was very concerned about becoming public about being uh, autistic uh because I wasn't sure how far discrimination against me would go and that my 35 years of having a successful career would suddenly be eradicated. Uh, I'm glad to say it doesn't seem to have happened. Of course, there might be some that go, ooh, autistic, and all they can see is Rain Man, right? Yeah. They will go, no way. We can't handle that. And, uh, and, and that's a shame. But there will be some people that will have such set biases. Uh, but there are people that literally, it doesn't really matter to them. They just look at the person in front of them, which is what we want to get to. And some of us just have to be a bit courageous to step out and then do that as well as as like minority groups of all kinds have to be courageous to push in to the leadership you know circles and the boards and be part of decision making processes to create that diverse way of thinking Mm -hmm. and social mobility mobility is a big i mean i'm a daughter of a butcher so means nothing was given to me in my life i had to work my way through everything from yeah. nothing i grew up in social housing and and people sometimes meet men see men they think oh you know you must be from a privileged background but actually yeah no that that wasn't that yeah yeah I, mean, I, mean, I was probably privileged being in denmark to be fair denmark is a good country to grow up
1: in yes yes yeah i think that I, i'm just sort of to in the sensitive way to way to say this um females on board certainly 10 15 20 years ago i kind of had the perception and it will be probably that time since i i was last on on one um do they have to do they have to be i mean did you have to be more masculine in your approach or you did you have the freedom to be feminine
2: I think in the beginning, uh, about 20 years ago, what happened was that the women that did come onto boards were more like the men, uh, because that's what the men would choose. I mean, you have to be chosen by the people already there. Now, 20 years later, it's more okay to be more feminine and still get offered positions. But 20 years ago, I think that was not quite the case. When I started in my early 40s, I was told, oh, you're too young to be on boards. And I'm just like, well, I'm here, you know, so, no. get lost <laughs> What I say? so it's it's uh it was a struggle at times i was always the only woman the first sort of five ten years and um it was good to see now that we are generally two three or more women on on the boards and it has definitely changed in that kind of way and the whole ethnic piece is coming in very strongly now but obviously if you go to africa you know ethnic diversity is something else right and mm-hmm. so wherever you go in the in the world and, and I work with boards around the world, you look at things very differently. Um and, and definitely I mean when so I've just done some work in the Caribbean. And you have to be very mindful of of in any way seeming to be like uh, still reinforcing colonialism. That's a big thing. I hear that word coming up a lot.
1: Yes. Yes. Mm. Yes, I was thinking just to go thinking about other although I hadn't uh, been a board member for many years I've worked with worked with many over, over the years and uh, I'm just trying to think myself at how how know how much more diverse they're getting a bit a bit more but it's uh, it's it's not not
2: fast it's it still surface so you look at footy 350 they have all reached their 40 percent uh you know gender balance Well, I like to say 40 percent either gender because when you say 40 percent women do you say 60 percent men is that how it goes or what you know so either gender it's a balance. What we're looking for is a balance. And and in everything I do, what I look for is a balance with with the people around that organization. So if I work with an organization in in Africa, it will be what is the balance in your country and around you and with your with your, you know, supply network, with your customers, consumers, whatever it might be, and try to achieve the same balance because then you have a better chance of seeing what they see and, and mm-hmm. more access to, you know, to dip into your own understanding of different things. And I think that's the real strength. No doubt that when you have a diverse group of people coming together, you have much deeper and richer conversations before you get to a decision. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone would dispute that. If they do, then they probably haven't been in that situation. Yeah.
1: So tell us a bit about the Institute of Neurodiversity and it's uh, now 12,000 members uh, which and growing um what's what's it all about what's uh and what do you what's its purpose and what do you what are you achieving
2: yeah so so it really came about after i i wasn't very public um i was still chairing the institute of directors at the time it was a campaign to raise 10 million for research into autism that um uh, a charity called autistic care was had been pushing me for a couple of years would i do that and i was like Ooh, i'm a bit scared here right so in the end, I said, okay, let's go out and, and raise some money. And then it was a lot bigger than I had expected. I was on Sky News in today's program in the, all the national newspapers. It was quite overwhelming. Uh, uh, yeah, I just had to take one day at a time. Yeah. And uh, and a number of the people there were the same stories I heard was like, oh, thank God someone is open about it now. And I got, I don't know how many directors writing. I'm autistic as well, but I would never tell anyone. And I thought, there's something really wrong here with this secrecy. And why are we so hidden when it comes with talents that the world needs, right? As well as struggles, of course, in a world that is set up for neurotypicals. And when we come in with our wider sensory band, it can be hard at times. And we have to make sure we look after ourselves in the right way. Um, and of course, if you have a disability, in addition to being neurodivergent, you struggle more because, because how do you express yourself? You don't express yourself with your disability in the same way as a neurotypical disabled person would do. So, we have to also take that into account. And a lot of it gets modeled off where, like, it's like, well, autistic people have epilepsy, so epilepsy becomes autism. It's, it, and that's very unhelpful uh, that we model off the different things and call them all one thing. Mm. But then we don't get the right treatments for what for, for the additional issues that, that we experience. But so, so the Institute, I thought, why is our community? Why are we? Why are we not why are there not groups? I can join as a late diagnosed person. There's nothing. Nothing. The only thing was out there was parent groups. So all the parents come together, you know, to support each other in being parents of these difficult children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a parent of a children myself, right? It's mm. yeah, it's challenging, but children oh. are challenging and they should be challenging. You know, that's they're curious and growing and all of this. And um, and I thought, this is so weird that all the parents have not created something for us. But of course, by the time we become adults, it's kind of hard for the parents to do things. So, you know, so that was these play dates when we were younger that a lot of us weren't that interested in, in anyway because we're very happy with parallel play. But um, anyway, we thought we got to bring us together. So we got together about 10 you neurodivergent know, people and chatted about it for a year. We took a year putting the whole piece together on how do we do this and what's our purpose our purpose is to to influence the world to become a world where we can prosper equally to everyone else Um, and that's the same as i would do with any kind of equality human rights you know movement that i would be part of it should always be about us prospering equally to everyone else and the barriers that are there we need to remove how do we do them we create more awareness we represent we did develop our voice and when we have a voice which we have never had before it's quite extraordinary we've never had like a neurodivergent voice out there it's always been other people talking on our behalf so now we're developing a voice with some really strong amazing advocates around a lot of younger people as well speaking up who was diagnosed earlier and are more comfortable with talking about it but it's mainly in the uk really it seems that the uk is actually leading in in this world with this and the comfort that more and more have in, in popping up in the u.s there's still a lot of um it's sort of it's either one way it's either something to cure or eliminate or it's it's something to embrace and support uh, so so some of the americans would be where we are with it but there's still a very strong sort of conversion training situation going on where they want to teach us how to be more like normal people whatever normal might be right so we need to present like our neotypical peers which uh, was it's the same conversion therapy that they use with lgbtq plus where you want to to teach gays and lesbians to not be that and trans to not be that it doesn't work and it gives us trauma Mm. um, but it's nevertheless a huge industry that even private equity invest in which i find very tasteless and unethical because we know that private equity only invests if they have big returns. So <laughs> quite frankly, That's nobody should money. have returns on us, like yeah. on anyone's you know, health situation or anything else. So yeah, there's a lot of work to do. And the Institute is aiming to do that. We want a million people to come with us by the end of 2025 in hundred different countries. Massive ambition, yes. but uh, we're pushing it, we're pushing it hard. So we reached oh, just over 12,000 sort of members and supporters and uh, a number of corporate members that are also working with us with their neurodivergent employees. So it's good. And that's only in a year and a half. That's and amazing. 18, 18 countries we're setting up in. We have steering groups in 18 different countries.
1: It's amazing. And 12, with 12,000 members that can proliferate quickly. Okay.
2: Well, it's the thing is, if we help everybody become self-advocates, yes. then we can, the next step is to help them become, you know, advocates to the world. And so together we can talk about what we feel is wrong and what solutions we feel we should have. And when we do that together, then we can turn around to the wider public. If you have a million people doing that with mm-hmm. the backing of a million people behind them and saying, we are saying this, then you really can, can have a whole wave of change.
1: It's amazing. And, and your, uh, your members are, are pe- people who are uh, neurodivergent. You mentioned their employ- employers. Uh, any other our sort of... allies yeah, allies? Yeah, so the empl- employers allies allies. are
2: very important. Yeah, so you're an ally of us by having me here, right? I'm,
1: I'm, I'm <laughs> absolutely an ally. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And it's very important one day. Hopefully the world will be our allies everybody and then we don't need the Institute anymore because then we have achieved what we were here for which is we all accept human differences and embrace it and and appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely i was mentioned. i think I mentioned to you earlier i was talking to uh somebody in my community i'm sure we'll get we'll get him on again um uh on, onto the show but he's created uh, an organization with a um a, a black lady um and it's is is helping um the black community to um to help them help them thrive in organizations and uh and, and supporting them with doing that and helping them with mental health and things like that and it's um uh, so I would say, you know, I'm a, a white ally as well. You know, I think we, we just need to have, we need to realize that um, diversity is one of the wonderful gifts in this world. And, and yeah. we are diverse uh, and human beings are diverse and uh, not be pigeonholing people into.
2: Okay.
1: We're boxes. just human beings, right? Yeah, we're just human That's beings. It. Why is people? it so
2: hard to just, why do some people have to feel more than others and make others feel less? And we can't be more or less human. We are all humans the yeah.
1: same level right yeah and on that wonderful note i'm going to leave it there and We're going to, go to commercial break we're back again in just a couple of minutes
0: from the boardroom to you voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential The bottom line in business talk. Have you become a member yet?
1: Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Charlotte uh, Valuer. We've been talking about uh, about neuro- neurodivergence and neurodiversity. We've been talking about this uh, amazing organisation, um, um, Ion, um, uh, the Institute of Neurodiversity. And Charlotte, maybe in this section we could um, talk about how how should um, schools and also organisations approach and treat and uh, approach and support. Um, I'm going to say treat I didn't mean treat them I mean um, behave with them um, to help them to people to thrive and also what it and then also we'll talk about maybe your your tips and thoughts for somebody who is ADHD or autistic or is is is, um, neurodi has neurodivergence how they what they can maybe do to be um, proactive to have this kind of success in life that you you've um, managed to attain so let's talk about you you maybe a school or an educational establishment, uh, you have pupils um, who um, are have neurodivergence or you suspect it or you're an organization. What are some of the, the the points that you would recommend that people need to hold closely in their minds to ensure yeah. people flourish and are not sapped by the way you communicate with them and behave and treat them?
2: And I think that's that's quite important in terms of being being sapped because we are different and we are here meant to be different and i think that's the first stage is to accept that you have maybe 25 children or 30 children they're big classes these days often you know and 20 percent of those are probably going to to think in different ways and behave in different ways and it's not laziness or naughtiness so the children generally want to behave right and i know many people who are teachers my mom was a teacher as well and i know it's not that easy in school often but especially if if children disengage, if they disengage with the teaching, it's super hard to get them to, you know, to sit still or not make noises or whatever. If you have ADHD, so as a girl um, with my ADHD, I presented as completely distant and disinterested. So I wasn't picked up by the teachers because I wasn't bothering them, right? I was yeah. just sitting very, very quiet in the corner. I was in my own world. I didn't listen, I didn't do anything. I was just a body in the room in my own world i had a very rich inner world where an ADHD boy would would really struggle sitting still would be bouncing around would need to go to the toilet three times and do a couple of karate kicks on the way out of the classroom you know so so some of the parents um was one i spoke to she had found a super solution uh, for her ADHD son in that he had a Fitbit on Uh, i mean you can get them for i think it like ten dollars or something like that so um that fitbit measures his heart rate when it goes above a certain line it means that he's starting to get stressed and it's um and overwhelmed with having to sit in the classroom and listen and sit still so then he can show the teachers heart rate and then the agreement is he can go out and kick a ball around for 10 minutes come back in again after 10 minutes and then he's ready to learn again and this is also something that's been researched um and as uh, so I've read a thesis around using nature as a de-stressor between learning, we have different learning spans, and for neurodivergent children, generally, it is not 45 minutes, right? It's, it's less. So if you force some of us to stay in the room, all of us, we, we, we block up, we don't learn anything. So mm. it's, you're better off allowing us to go out for 10 minutes, come back in again, even if it's walk around, you know, walk around the school, whatever it might be but be out of the room to then come back because if you keep us in we don't learn anything anyway so you're wasting not only our time but your own time you're making us more stressed then we'll be more stressed for the next lesson and overall the whole school experience is not going to be good yeah In, in a way trying to hold people in who have adhd is just like cruel it's literally it's literally torture And it's not acceptable and it i'm sure it's kind of against human rights if we really look at it for what it is forcing someone who is built from nature's side to move forcing them to be still what is that if it's not torture
1: yeah And what's what's your belief on some schools putting children into isolation
2: i find that utterly unacceptable that is actually definitely not according to human rights i would say you, putting someone in isolation and a child in isolation can be incredibly damaging. It is certainly something that that needs to be dealt with quite strongly because I think that is a really misunderstood way of treating children that need something completely different
1: yeah it it feels feels sort of barbaric to me it, it,
2: because it is barbaric right yeah, I I mean, I... if someone did that to one of my children, I would be on it like hard. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was always a bit of a nightmare for, for schools, but I mean, I would have, you know, respectful conversations like, so why are we doing this exactly? You know, what's the outcome? And, and we kept hearing, oh, we can't teach your child because, you know, you know, they learn. We don't know how they learn. And that's their fault. Right. I was like, how can it be a child's fault that educational experts that has taken five, seven years of education to learn how to teach can't teach Children that are high above average intelligent because they learn in a different way, sorry, I mean, that doesn't compute in my world. There's no no logic on that. It's just we need to understand these different ways. The Montessori system uh, is one that works really well with neurodivergent children. Um, And that is based on, on them. That was, what, 120 years ago, was it? An Italian professor, I think, a woman, which was highly unusual then. I think she was a PhD. Um, but she was allowed by her family to get the education, but normally women wouldn't get any at 120 years ago. She created this Montessori system that is basically children go towards the toys they want, they're attracted to, and all the toys teach them something. Mm-hmm. So just they learn through doing things they like to do, right? And that is the way to really engage people's and children's minds and hearts And that is is how you learn. It shouldn't be difficult in this day and age. If you have a child who's, you know, 12 years old and loves rockets and wants to study rocket at degree level, why would you stop them from doing that? Exactly, right? Why would you not allow them to do everything they want to do in rockets and forget about all the other things? It's this very set way, and I acknowledge that it's hard to teach many people when you have 60 million people in the UK, whatever, right? Yes, it is hard, but we have today AI, you know, technology automation that could do a lot of that teaching at whatever level the child was on, in whichever way the child wished to be taught, right? There's so many tools and we need to now bring them in so that we can come with our talent to the fore. That, that hasn't happened yet and that, that is a real shame. We need to really do, I mean, Elon Musk, Richard Branson, we know that we're out there and succeeding significantly when we are in a situation where we are free to just open our minds and think big, right? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. not for all of us, of course. I mean, the whole notion around superpower is somewhat, something we're very careful with because not all of us, so somebody, oh, so people come to me and say, oh, so what's your superpower? is it's like, I well, don't I don't think I have one, right? I mean, it's like, what can I say? And most of us would go, we don't have one. But we have one in different ways and different thinking, no matter the level of our intellect, or our additional disabilities, I can guarantee you, most of us have something that we are deeply interested in, and that's where it will come out as a strength.
1: Yeah. So some of the some of the people I've interviewed have talked to me about um, a lack of that. that in, in themselves, one of the one of the secrets of their success has been a lack of fear that they just keep on going. Yes. Uh, and I see well, that. In my, I, I see like that, that on that my own. And someone wanting to jump off bridges into water high water and i know, various I know. i've
2: had a bit of <laughs> that yeah but what <laughs> was like, Are you little like i used to do that i'm so sure you so i used to climb trees and i would climb to the very top of the tree that'd be two three stories high and jump on the, up and down on the branches there those days we were just let out during the day walking around and then like doing and coming back at mealtimes right mm. i did fall out of a tree once it was like I survived, but the ambulance had to come and get me um, because my back was badly damaged. But it wasn't broken, so hallelujah, right? But all the other times I was on top of the tree and I was down again and I was fine. But I literally can't remember having... If I would see my children do the same today, I would have a problem, right? Hmm. I would want them in safety gear and strings and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So I think there is a level of not fully recognizing that or being so driven to do certain things that the fear goes out the window. I mean, as such, if you look at the military, I mean, where, you know, we send people out to kill other people and get killed themselves. I mean, that demands some of the same things, right?
1: Yeah.
2: And that's quite an extreme situation to be put in, but human beings has that ability.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It makes me think now my, my, my dad, my, my, my father, um, I, but my father passed away a few years ago. But I, I shared a story at his, his funeral about him falling out of a tree as a young young child, and uh, he, he, it's a terrible thing to do. But he'd taken some eggs high up in a tree. Uh, he used to climb up and uh, and then then try and hatch the hatch the birds. And it was good probably the nineteen fifties, something like end of fifties, something like that. And uh, what he decided to do was um, put a couple of eggs in his mouth and climb down. He slipped and fell. <laughs> Really. <laughs> <laughs> I unfortunately fell on glass once when I was a child because I lived in trees as well
2: <laughs> trees are so nice, trees are so nice right? Ah, wonderful. There, right you have all the leaves around you there's generally no other people in that tree just nice and calm I love that. loved, yeah. it. loved yeah. trees
1: <laughs> now just before we we just got about four minutes well two minutes till I need to need to wrap up really and you talked to me um we should we should be very careful with our language shouldn't we with with people because um sometimes people um are spoken to in a very demoralizing way um yes. when, when it seems like they've got you know an illness or uh yeah. ailment
2: yeah and i think it's really what what we need to get out a bit more what and what the institute is going to try to help the broader world with is just that language yeah. you know don't don't like say so when I say I'm autistic or people know, they go, oh, you suffer from autism. I am like, yeah, no, I don't suffer from autism, um, but I am autistic. It comes with certain things that might be more difficult, but other things that might be easier uh, for me. So, so I don't think we need to say that people suffer from it. But of course, some uh, people would beg to disagree because some of us might feel like we suffer from it. And I think it's just this distinction that, that we are like a vertical slice of society at all different levels of everything. We, we have, we don't fit into a neat box. We are not Rainman yeah. or or Sheldon, right? We are all very, very different and from very different walks of life. So I think that's, that's another one. Or when people disclose and people go, Oh, but you don't look autistic? And it's, it's just unhelpful, right? Yeah. Or when people insist that actually I'm not autistic at all or ADHD. I'm just like, could we just not talk about this? Because, you know, the professional tell me something else. But generally, I think trying to just treat us as, as within the norm, we want a worldview where normal is this big, with all of us in it, and within that, there's differences, as yeah. opposed to this small worldview that we have today, where normal is a small circle, and around it is all kind of abnormals, right? Yeah where well, we want that circle to be really big and we're all in that. So if you talk to us in the same way and about us in the same way as you would any other person, so we don't talk about neurotypicals and say, oh, here's someone who's profoundly neurotypical or oh, here's someone who's mildly neurotypical. Well, I mean, we don't do that. So why do we do that on, on autistic people, for example, or other neurodivergent people? So if you have Tourette's, you've got tics, I've got tics or you haven't got tics. So of course, sometimes it can be worse or, or, or less, but that's very dependent on the environment around you and stress, right? The same for autism, We it's harder for us when we get stressed because things shut down. That mm. happens to people as well. It's just that you neurotypicals know, get the same thing. They shut down when everything gets too overwhelmed. Just takes them longer to get overwhelmed, yeah. if that makes sense. That's so true. language, be careful, you know, not don't have to feel sorry for so we because that's not we're not looking for that we're looking for equal opportunities and equal you know ability to prosper
1: absolutely and then uh you've you've demonstrated you've demonstrated so many people i i you know the more i read about this subject i start to wonder you know who's who's been hugely successful who isn't um, actually (laughs) neurodivergent is really fascinating unfortunately we've got to end the interview now but um I just wonder if you've got a final message that you'd like to leave us with in about 60 seconds.
2: Well, the final message for me will always be embrace differences, understand that different is good. If you're looking to hire a person, hire someone who doesn't fit in because actually that's how you get diversity and work with that person so that that you learn from them and they learn from you and both of you go away richer and with more growth. I think that's, um, I would love the world to be more like that.
1: Well thank you it's you've been it's been a hugely inspiring interview really really uh, thought provoking helpful and um i i love the organisation that you've you've created um and i think um we all need to embrace diversity in, in all its different forms and and help everybody to to step up um to find out more about um um ion ion um I-O-N, uh, the institute of neurodiversity go to ion uh, io org that's um, right yeah you. and then i know if you want to find out more about the global-governance-group.com hyphen hyphen is another organization that you're um very involved in um is that the best place to connect with you
2: that's a good place or linkedin very happy to connect LinkedIn. LinkedIn
1: as well uh, fantastic Thanks so and...
2: much for having me you're very
1: welcome it's been wonderful and on next week's show we have david allison david has written an amazing book called the death of demographics he's done him he and his organization have done seven hundred and fifty thousand surveys to uh, Come, completely to the conclusion that we com- we we misjudge by using demographics for marketing for for leadership, and what we should be using is values, um, because it's values um, which we emotionally connect us to people, and therefore it doesn't matter what age you are. You might have um, you might you might love I love cycling, but so you might love cycling when you're 20. It doesn't mean that, um, that you only love cycling when you're 20 to 25 or something. Uh, values are more important. It's really important, groundbreaking work. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating interview next week. It may just change how you view people and the world. So do join us next week. Charlotte Vellur, it's been an absolute pleasure. Any questions, comments, Chris at chriscooper.co.uk. You know, we're here to help you to elevate your thinking, develop your businesses uh, and contribute to a better world. Join us again next week. Thank you.